This is a recording from a sermon from Light Church in San Diego, California. For more information, please visit lightsandiego.com. dive into that, just to kind of set the table a little bit for those who are new and just coming in. Uh, we began this year uh, praying for the Lord to give us some direction and vision, and we are on this journey called heart renovation, where we are looking at the idea that not only does Jesus give us a new heart, but intends to form that heart into his image, and that like any renovation, any transformation that has a process, that does not happen instantaneously, although the gift of salvation does, now we are in this process of being shaped into his likeness. And like any renovation, there's a process that goes on. And so month of January, we talked about design. We talked about that God isn't just forming us into something we get to decide, but there's a specific end goal. Ultimately is Jesus. He wants us to look like his son. And um, after we have kind of settled on the design, right, the rendering of our hearts begins the demo those things in our lives that need to be removed, the things in our lives that don't belong. Uh, and oftentimes, the, the stuff that we uh, don't like to get into, but is essential for us to be transformed into Christ's likeness, is for us to let him remove things, change things. And, uh, and that's what today is, is what the month of February has been about. Um, we've talked about repentance. We've talked about how suffering can come and be a tool that God can use to, to shape us. And today we're talking about sin, the things in life that, that exist in our lives that don't need to be there and that God wants to move. Uh, but the, the interesting thing about that is we kind of have a skewed understanding of what sin is, which makes it problematic because oftentimes we kind of have a low view of what sin costs and the penalty of sin. And at the same time, we find ourselves over here where we consistently are like, why is there so much pain in the world? Why is there, there war and injustice and brokenness and affairs and debt and all of these things? And we have yet to really connect the two. Because the Bible's pretty clear uh, about the cost of sin. It's us that take it, and we kind of skew it to make us feel better. And I don't know if you do this. I, I do this. There's, there's sin in my life right now that I've just kind of come to peace with it. Like, oh, it's, you know, it's probably not good, but it's not that bad. But there's other people who, like you guys, who are really sinful and really need to hear this sermon. <laughs> but that's kind of how we look at people. We're like, oh, man. We're watching the news, see something on entertainment, or we just hear about a friend, and we're like, I can't believe they would do that. And the things in our life we just kind of have become comfortable with. And the Bible's pretty clear on how much sin costs. And Romans 6.23 says, For the wages of sin is death. That seems a little heavy, um, but... What we're going to look at today is the reason why we have to have a costly view of sin is because if sin doesn't cost much, then the cross doesn't mean much. If we don't understand how sin leads to death, we'll never understand the why behind Jesus having to come. And that's, that's probably the most dangerous thing, 
is as we just begin to think, well, you know, it's not that bad. It's not really that bad. The problem is we lose sight of the significance of the gospel. And the other thing is we're not really telling ourselves the truth. Because when we sit on the other end of being wronged, of being betrayed, of being broken, we feel the weight of sin and it feels like death. You're like, well, not all sin leads to death. Well, think about it. I mean, you think about like the, the beginning of like just learning how to lie, right? It starts at a very early age. Um, and then and there's just little things. But what's interesting is if that lying becomes a pattern in your life, all of a sudden that lying can cost you your job and it caused death to your career. Those little lies that became bigger lies all of a sudden ends, becomes death in your relationships. And so as much as we like just to think to make ourselves feel better, well, sin's not a big deal. We're not being honest with ourselves because all of us have been on the receiving end of the death that sin brings. But here's the good news is that Scripture has a lot to say about sin, and because of Jesus, it's good news. But if we're honest, and even me preaching this sermon, sometimes I'm like, oh, man, I know this is going to be a trigger for some people. And they're like, oh, my gosh, I'm going to feel guilty. I'm going to feel condemned. I don't like feeling heavy. This is why I don't go to church. I already know I'm a bad person. I'm going to feel worse. Hang out with me for, like, the next 30 minutes. That's all I'm going to ask you. Because I think what Scripture is going to have to say with our sin is not little, belittling sin. It's not making light of sin. But it's making much of Jesus and what he's done to sin and what he wants to do about sin in our life. You see, I remember doing a renovation to a bathroom uh, a while ago, and we looked at this bathroom, we're like, man, this, this is like, it's really old and dated, needs some new fixtures, and it's just not, it's just time for it to be renovated. And so other guys, not me, because I don't do that kind of stuff, began to do the demolition on it. And we get a phone call from them, and they're like, hey, we have a problem. I'm like, what? They're like, there's black mold from floor to ceiling. And I was like, I'm like, so is that bad? <laughs> like, yeah, we can't work here. Uh, we actually have to go and get certain kind of suits and chemicals just to make this safe to even work on. And sure enough, that's what they did. They went and they uh, had to go and it took two days, not even building out the bathroom, just cleaning it. And I think oftentimes it's a great imagery of what sin is when it comes to our heart renovation. Is we look at sin, it's like, oh, there's some stuff that doesn't really look good in my life. There's some stuff that's like, oh, I don't really like that. But God's looking behind that and being like, man, there's something behind it that's even more costly. That behavior is actually pointing to something deeper inside of you that's broken, that I really care about. And that's what I hope today deals with, is for us, and we have to begin, we have to be honest that every one of us has these tendencies, this bent towards selfishness, towards evil, and that Jesus came to deal with that. And we're going to figure out how he, how he has and how he's done that. And we're going to focus on three things this morning if you're taking notes. Uh, number one is conviction. Number two is confession. And number three is cadence. Conviction, confession, and cadence. How do we deal with sin? The first one, conviction, is a really big one for me because uh, this is where I think we probably need the most clarity. And the reason I'm using the word conviction is because it, I wanted to contrast this other idea of condemnation. And there's a massive difference between the two. And I want us just to take a minute to focus on what is the difference between condemnation and conviction. I'm just going to give you guys a few 
thoughts behind this. Uh, number one, and ultimately, it's who's doing each one. You see, Scripture has a word for Satan, and it's the accuser. So the accuser is the one who condemns. We're going to find out about the role of the Holy Spirit, and his word that Jesus gives him is an advocate. So the advocate brings, um, will come and bring conviction, but the accuser brings condemnation. Uh, I love Rich, um, I love how Robert Morris, his pastor in Texas, talks about. It. He says conviction is specific, condemnation is general. What he means by that is when the advocate comes, there will be some things he makes. He should, brings light on, says, "Hey, these things need to change." As the advocate, what the accuser does is he comes and brings condemnation. He says, "You are broken. You are awful. You are your sin." And there's a massive difference because one brings weight, one brings freedom. One tears you down and puts you under a weight that feels crushing. We've all felt condemnation before. But then what the advocate does, it comes to bring conviction. It's specific. He says, hey, if you do this differently, it'll actually bring freedom and liberation to your life. And he's after, he's after God is after that, not condemnation. As a matter of fact, in John 3, 17, not 16, 17, it says this, that for God did not send his son into the world to condemn it, ever, ever. There's, if there's ever a moment you feel condemned, even if it's at church, it's not God. It's not Jesus. Now, it, it's most likely us listening to a different voice, and that's the voice of the accuser. It's the voice of the one saying, hey, th- you are your mistakes. You are the result of your sin. But right here, it's pretty clear, Jesus did not come to condemn the world. And as he's leaving, he gives us this promise. We're going to be focusing our time here talking about conviction. It's this idea that he came to bring, or to give us the advocate, our Holy Spirit, who does bring conviction. But let's figure out the kind of conviction that he brings. This is in John chapter 16, if you have your Bible. Verse 7 says, but very truly I tell you, it is for your good that I'm going away, which is what a shocking statement. Jesus is like, it's better that I'm leaving. Unless I go away, the advocate will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. When he comes, he will prove the world to be in the wrong about sin and righteousness and judgment. Those are huge. This is, this is what the advocate convicts us of. Sin, righteousness, and judgment. About sin, because people do not believe in me about righteousness because I'm going to the Father where you can see me no longer, and about judgment because the prince of this world now stands condemned. Now this is, this is where we need to bring clarity because oftentimes talking about being convicted of sin breeds this idea of immediately we kind of shrink back and we feel bad about ourselves. This is not what John is talking about. This is not what Jesus is saying about the role of the advocate. It's a legal term, parakletos, which means to come alongside. It means you know someone well enough you can defend them. And so this, he comes in, the very first thing he talks about is this, he's coming to convict the world of sin, to bring light to sin, this bent that we have away from God. But this is what I want us to focus on. It says, about sin because people do not believe in me. Now, and this is, this is what I want us to get when it comes to sin. Every single sin is rooted in unbelief. Every sin, there's not a sin that we commit that is not rooted in unbelief. And you might be like, well, what, what do you mean by that? I mean, think about a sin. Think about something that you do. It's, it's lying, it's cheating, it's harming someone, it's selfish nature, it's, it's the words that you say. 
something that you look at. All of those come from this desire that we have within us to receive pleasure or comfort or affirmation or validation, all of which are things that God says he will give us. And so when we choose to engage in sin and to and lean into temptation, what we're saying is, God, I don't believe you have this for me. So I need to do it myself. And this is why the Holy Spirit comes to convict us, not just of the choices that we're making, but of the unbelief in our hearts. He's coming to say, you don't believe that when God says that he's good and he's your father and he gives good gifts, you don't believe him when he says that. Isn't this what the serpent did to Eve when he showed up and he's trying to convince her, did God really say? It's the same things. You don't, he's trying to get her, don't believe what he told you. It's the origin of every single sin in our heart is this idea is, do you believe that he's a good father? I, I think about this all the time with, with my children as I have interactions with them. Currently, I'm having an ongoing conversation with Zoe, who's my 10-year-old, about phones, when she's going to be allowed to have a phone. Everyone in her class has a phone. So immediately, her thinking is, if everyone's doing it, what? I can do it. And I'm sitting down with her, and maybe it's because I was a youth pastor for 10 years, and I've seen kind of the carnage phones, specifically social media, can cause at a young age. And I'm just looking at her, and I'm just like, no, you're not going to have a phone at 10 years old. And we have these long conversations about them, long debates, most of them ending in tears, me, not her. Um, but, but my, the moment that I always want to end up at, it literally happened yesterday. I'm sorry, Friday. It happened Friday. I'm driving her to school. There's tears in her eyes. And I, and I look at her. We sit in the car for a few extra minutes. And I look at her. I'm like, Zoe, do you believe I love you? Do you know that I love you? Yes, Dad. I, I know that you love me. Do you, do you believe I want what's best for you? Yes. And, and, and in that moment, what I'm asking you is, you don't have to understand my reasoning. I'm asking you just to believe in me as your father. And that's, that, and that's why I think that ultimately what sin, what the Holy Spirit's coming to convict us of, of the sin, is as our unbelief says, would you please believe? I mean, I love, I love what Henry Nouwen says is, you can know the difference between conviction and condemnation if it begins with the word beloved. Beloved, that's not what God has for you. That's not what's best for you. There's something better I have for you than that instant gratification, than that, than that little lie that you're telling to save yourself. I mean, there's something better, and I know it feels like you're being withheld from, but all I'm trying to give you is life. And this is what the Holy Spirit comes to do. He comes to convict us of our unbelief and to draw us back to him. And this is, this is where it gets really cool. The next thing he says, he convicts us as of righteousness. Now, it makes sense to be convicted of sin, right? We get that in the legal sense. But to be convicted of righteousness. What is that all about? Jesus says, he's going to come and convict you of righteousness because I'm going to the Father. Now, that's a picture. Now, think about this. The Holy Spirit comes after the cross, after the resurrection, when Jesus is seated on the right hand. This is where he becomes our intercessor. This is when he becomes, and he becomes the person who has become sin for us. 2 Corinthians 5 says, so that we can become the righteousness of Christ. So when the Holy Spirit comes, not only is he convicting us of sin, he's convicting us that you're righteous and not just ordinarily righteous, but you carry with you the righteousness of Christ. I mean, how, what good news is that? 
Then the Holy Spirit shows up in your life. He's not just convicting you, like, you shouldn't have done that. The Holy Spirit comes as, beloved, do you know who you are? This isn't you. you. You're righteous. You carry with you the righteousness of Christ. And he's speaking to our hearts and reminding us, you are not the mistakes you've been making. You already, those mistakes have already been paid for. I'm convicting you of your righteousness that you now have as a result of Christ Jesus. I mean, what, what a thankful, amazing place to be. I mean, Romans 8, 1 through 4 says, Therefore there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, because through Christ Jesus the law of the Spirit who gives life has set you free from the law of sin and death. From what the law was powerless to do because it was weakened by the flesh, God did by sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh to be a sin offering. And so he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fully met in us. Guys, we are allowed to be convicted of our righteousness. So when you hear that voice come into your head and be like, hey, you know that mistake you just did for the thousandth time? That's who you are and you're never gonna break it. Let's be real. Those moments where you just come in and like, I'm never gonna get through this. I'm never gonna break this sin. It's the voice of the accuser. It's condemnation. And the advocate comes and says, no, you are righteous. You aren't the sum of those mistakes. You carry with you the righteousness that was given to you as a result of the cross. And then the next part, it just gets better. He goes and he talks about that you, um, that he's going to convict us of judgment. And then this is where we get really scared, like, oh, judgment of God. But did you hear what it said? What he's convicting us, the kind of judgment that he's convicting us of? He says, I'm convicting about judgment because the prince of the world now stands condemned. So the judgment he's convicting us is a judgment upon the enemy. I don't know, who just wants some more conviction in their life now? Right? Come on, Holy Spirit. That's That's what I need. This is why it says in Romans 2, it's God's kindness that leads us to repentance. Is this, this is the conviction that happens in the believer's heart, or should, if we can differentiate between condemnation. And so oftentimes we confuse the two. Listen, Jesus didn't come to give us condemnation. He came, and, and just, just look at the two. Condemnation will come and say, you are your sin. It'll come and say, your righteousness has been compromised, and judgment is coming upon you. The Holy Spirit, as the advocate, comes and it says, you are not your sin. Come into belief in me. You are the righteousness of Christ, and judgment has come upon the enemy. Do you see the different narratives? And then when we understand the two, as believers, we should say, Holy Spirit, convict me every single day. I need to be reminded to trust you. I need to be reminded I'm the righteousness of Christ. I need to be reminded that the enemy has already been judged. I need the conviction all the time. And when conviction, not condemnation, because you know what condemnation does? Condemnation leads us into hiding. Conviction leads us into confession. So the fact, and I just want to say this sensitively, your ability and willingness to confess sin directly correlates with your belief with conviction or condemnation. If you feel condemned, you will not confess. If you feel convicted, your natural response is confession. 
because you're safe. Isn't that why we don't confess? Because we're scared? We don't confess because, like, what if someone finds out? What if they know who I really am? But the Holy Spirit says, I already know who you really are, and it's okay. You're allowed to confess. And so my encouragement to you is as we welcome the conviction of the Holy Spirit for the sin, righteousness, and judgment in our life, that it would naturally lead us to a place of living in confession. Ultimately, first and foremost, we confess to God because ultimately we have sinned first and foremost against God. And this is what it says in 1 John chapter 1, verses 8. It says, if we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. There, there it is, right? I don't really sin that much. I'm kind of good. You know, I'm kind of a good person. So, you know, I'm like a B minus, passing grade. It says, if we claim to be without sin, we have deceived ourselves and the truth is not in us. But if we confess our sins, we're honest with our sins, and we're transparent, and we say, God, I've messed up. This is who I really am. This is my struggle. This is something I've done a thousand times. This is something new in my life. I'm confessing it before you. It says, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness, which is, which is implying if God does not forgive us when we confess that he is not faithful and he is not just, God has to forgive because God's nature is just and God's nature is faithful. And because of the cross and all of those sins being paid for, it is within him that he will has to forgive those things. And I think for me, that's kind of easy to kind of get behind because I'm like, okay, I can, I can confess to God because he's not going to tweet about it, you know? He's not going to text anyone about it. He's not going to tell my church. He's not going to tell, like, my small group. If we're honest with ourselves, confessing to God, it's where we begin, but oftentimes it's where it ends with us. We don't want it to go beyond that. This is, this is my story. For most of my life, I just found myself confessing to God and, and being truly repentant and seeing breakthrough and forgiveness and things like that, but there's certain things in my life that oh, I was hitting a roadblock on because my confession never extended beyond God. Isn't what James says in his letter to the early church? He's talking, he's ending his letter, and he's talking about healing in the church and laying on hands and physical healing. But then he has this line in here about confession. He says, therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. See, for, for James, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, he's guiding his church to say, Talk to each other, confess, open up, share your weakness and your brokenness and your humanity. And somehow within those moments is where you receive healing, is where you receive wholeness. To be fully known by someone and to be met with grace. But there's two sides to this. I think one of the reasons why we're so afraid of this is because historically people have misused the privilege of someone confessing things to them. It's turned into gossip. It's turned into these things. And so you know what we do? We're like, well, that's, that's why I don't confess. But the problem is you're robbing yourself of healing. You're preventing healing goes near your heart. So this would be practically how this plays out. Find some safe people. Maybe it's your open table. Maybe it's not. Maybe it's a family member. 
Find some safe people, not just your spouse, but find some safe people that you can just go and literally say, can I just be human with you? Can I just lay it out before you when I'm struggling with the sin, when I'm feeling anxious, when I'm really feeling stressed out, when I've messed up in this way? Can I tell you and can I tell you again and again and again? Would you pray for me? Would you meet me with grace? But tell me the truth. The church should be the epitome of what this is. And sadly, and maybe it's even just the structure of it, right? This is, we're not sitting around a table right now. We're kind of sitting in structured chairs, and that's nothing wrong with that. But confession won't happen here. Confession happens when you're sitting at a coffee shop or at a bar, at a table, and you look at that person and say, hey, you know what, can I just be honest with you? This is what's going on in my life. And the person comes alongside you and says, can I, thank you for sharing that. Here's my struggle. Can I pray for you? Would you pray for me? And you walk that out. And here's why this is so powerful. One of my, one of my favorite quotes I've heard of recent years is, what lives in the dark dies in the light. It's been so true in my life. What lives in the dark dies in the light. It's black mold, Right? It's behind this wall, and you think that everything's okay. I mean, like a little dated, and some things need to change, but you're not that bad, and all of a sudden, you open that up, and you realize there's a lot of work. There's a lot of stuff back in there, and God's saying, let's deal with it. Let's deal with it. We can't build a foundation until that's gone, and it's not going to be gone until you confess, and you're not going to confess until you understand conviction properly. What lives in the dark dies in the light. Listen to what Dietrich Bonhoeffer wrote. Love this. In his book, Life Together, he writes, a man who confesses his sin in the presence of a brother knows that he is no longer alone with himself. He experiences the presence of God in the reality of the other person. I'm just gonna read that line again. I love this. He experiences the presence of God in the reality of the other person. As long as I am by myself in the confession of my sins, everything remains in the clear. But in the presence of a brother, this sin has to be brought into the light. And so my hope this morning is that we just become a community that welcomes people in their most vulnerable state. I, I pray as a pastor, and some of you guys have mentioned, like, I really appreciate when you're vulnerable. I'm, thank you, I'm, that's my prayer. I really hope I never am a part of creating a culture where myself or anyone on this platform is somehow here because we sin less. A matter of fact, Paul, at the end of his life, in one of his letters, writes and gives himself the title Chief Sinner. I think it's interesting if you compare how Paul introduces himself in his latter letters versus his early letters. His early letters is, I am, I am the apostle of Christ. And his latter letters is, I am the chief sinner. That, that's how I feel. The closer I get to Jesus, the more I realize my need for the gospel, the more I realize I need my, the need for forgiveness. And would this be a community of people that can just be around each other and just say, hey, you know what, can I be honest with you? Can I be real? This is what's going on. And we can be a safe place or we can continue to encourage one another because this is where healing happens. But this isn't where it ends. The last point today is cadence. Cadence is an interesting word. Cadence is a similar word to rhythm. 
Um, and there's a verse, this is a word that Paul uses in the Greek. The Greek word is keep in step. Um, but it's actually one Greek word that means cadence. Keep a cadence with the Holy Spirit. So the Holy Spirit's job is not done in convicting us. He then invites us into a rhythm to walk with him. And because all of us walk to a cadence, whether we're trying to or not, we walk to a rhythm. Most often, if we're not careful, it's walking to a rhythm of our human nature. The Bible calls this the Greek word sarks or flesh. It's our natural bent just to whatever we crave, whatever we desire, it's what we want, it's what we walk towards. But there's this alter uh, journey, alter cadence, uh, which is of the Holy Spirit. And this is what he writes us in Galatians chapter 5. There's a few verses, but if we can read this, I think this really kind of drives it home of what is our response after we are convicted and we confess is now we keep cadence with the Holy Spirit. Verse 16 in Galatians 5 says, So I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the flesh desires what is contrary to the Spirit, and the Spirit what is contrary to the flesh. They are in conflict with each other, so that you are not to do whatever you want. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. The acts of the, of the flesh are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity, and debauchery. You know who you are, debaucherers. <laughs> Idolatry and witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissension, factions, and envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Here it is. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step. Let us have cadence with the Spirit. I love this, this imagery of fruit. And one of the reasons I love the imagery of fruit is fruit takes a long time. Fruit does not happen overnight. And I think it's the reason why Paul uses the illustration is, is fruit, lasting change, not walking according to the flesh, but walking according to the Spirit. doesn't just happen because you heard a good sermon and you, everything changed for you. It happens because you consistently walk in cadence with the Holy Spirit. You wake up in the morning and you invite his conviction into your heart. You confess before God and others and you begin to say, Lord, I want to walk with you every single day. If you're leading this way, I'm going to go this way. If you're going this way, I'm going to do that. And what happens is when we walk in cadence with him, we start as a tree, we start seeing a fruit pop up. No, it's not fruit. It's not plural. It's a fruit. And that one fruit carries all of these qualities in it. Love, joy, peace, patience. And what, I, what is so powerful about this is that we don't get to pick and choose the qualities that, we're, that we like. I know sometimes you can read this and be like, well, I'm pretty good at like three of those. Not super great at like four of those. So like, you know, I'm trying to work on those. No, this, this is a fruit, not fruits. This is the fruit of the Holy Spirit. So when you keep in step with the Holy Spirit, all of these things, and again, in time, with the patience and grace of God, will start to develop. But as I look at this, man, just even honestly, and this might feel small for some of you, but this is big for me. Last couple of weeks, I've not been doing, like, I've not been an awesome dad or husband. Super impatient. 
fits of rage, irritable, stressed, not kind. And I just noticed, man, I am not walking in step with the Spirit. So what did I do? I asked the Holy Spirit, like, convict me. What's going on? And naturally, you know what it led me to do? There's a few guys who are a part of this church. I just texted them, like, will you pray for me? Just really, just been a lame dad and husband. And it's not okay, and I know it's not okay. But would you pray that I met with the kindness of God that would lead me to change? And, um, and this might be like, well, that's, that's a little thing. It's not. It's, remember, it's, it's the black, it's the little, it's the stuff behind my heart that I want God to deal with immediately so it doesn't grow and grow and grow into these deeper things. So I'm going to invite the worship team to come back up here. And they're going to they're gonna sing the song, Holy Spirit. And what I would like for us to do is, I'm, I'm actually going to just sit down uh, and let's just ask the Holy Spirit to come convict us. Maybe he's going to reveal some black mold you didn't even know was there. But let him just come. Let us just ask, you know, what, what is in me that is keeping me? from the best that God is intending me to live in. And then as we're in those moments, as you find that conviction of sin, of the righteousness that you have been given because of Christ, the judgment that's coming on the enemy, that just lead you into a time of confession before the Lord. Um, and at some point this week, find time to confess to someone, someone in your life who you trust. And then we'll end, this, we'll end the morning just singing this song together that he would, as we sing to and about the Holy Spirit, that we would begin to say, Lord, would you just come and let me have cadence with you with how you want me to live. Let's just take a moment of quiet, let the Holy Spirit convict. And as the band starts playing, as you want, you're welcome to continue to worship how you feel. Want. I'll come up in a couple of minutes and dismiss us. But let's... Let's not miss this moment.